Kung Fu. Won't be seen tonight, so we can bring you a very special episode of The Gen X Files. Welcome to The Gen X Files. I'm Jim. I'm Adam. And today's show is all about The, the Golden, Golden Child. Child. That's the steel drum that they put in every movie in the 80s. <laughs> Well, in the Golden Child's case, it would have been it would have been a synthesizer doing it. <laughs> well, it was both. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, yes. it was. Uh, yeah, it, it was. Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, the Golden Child. Not to be confused with the Golden Shower, which was apparently something that was uh, uh, the former a... president's uh, peccadilloes. I was going to say, the, wasn't that a Peter O'Toole movie, The Golden Shower? Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh no, it's something on Golden Pond. Right. Sorry. And that wasn't Peter O'Toole. That was no. Uh, <laughs> It was not. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, Peter Fonda, I think. You're thinking. Or, hey, no, nope, I don't think it was Peter it's Fonda. Fonda. But I, oh, was Henry it? No, Fonda. I think it's Henry Fonda. Yes. Getting from P to Henry Fonda. Welcome to the Gen X file. <laughs> All right. Well, take yourself back to 1986. Ooh. April 14th. Hailstones weighing upwards of 2.2 pounds fell in Bangladesh, killing 92 people. That's insane, man. That's like cannonballs falling from this guy. Yeah. And it's it's crazy that only 92 people died. Yeah, it's crazy. I can't imagine. I, I, I've never seen hailstones obviously that big, but I, I've we, only been in a couple hailstorms, and man, they're frightening. They are. They, we would get we would get hailstorms in Texas. Yeah, that were really big, and you know, yeah. plankety plankety, man. Especially if you're in like a shed or something with a tin roof. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It was crazy. Yeah, the last one I was in, I was in Rockford, hanging out with my family, and it was clear skies, and all of a sudden it just crap ton of hail hails falls out of the sky and then it like it went away hail's it. weird it's a weird phenomenon it is april 26th a mishandled safety test at the chernobyl nuclear power plant in pripyat ukraine killed at least 4056 people and damaged almost seven billion dollars of property wait what when did that yeah. happen april 26 <laughs> they made a movie about that on There's HBO. a mini series, yeah. Yeah. Highly recommend. It's very good. Yeah, I heard it was really good. It's um it's they put a laugh track to it, which I thought was really <laughs> kind of disrespectful to the situation. Eh, but you know, eh, creative no. creative license. <laughs> December seventh, a magnitude five point seven earthquake destroys most of the Bulgarian town of Strajika. I'm sensing a bit of a pattern in your rep- rem- remembrances. Jim Doom. <laughs> You doom, baby. December 12th, The Golden Child is released in theaters, uh, which actually of those four things that happened probably was the best thing that happened. Uh, it actually made some money. I well, nobody surprised. died when The Golden Child was released in theaters. So I don't yes, know. I would I would put that at you, the top of the list of good things. You talk to the writer and the producers, and they would think someone did. Well, maybe their souls died, but <laughs> you know, we didn't have any. We didn't have a pile of bodies That's that were smashed by the. Golden cha- golden shower storm. <laughs> You're just really obsessed. Okay, I'm with done with the I'm done with the golden Are shower you? joke. Are Maybe you? I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, liar. Okay. We'll see. <laughs> the Golden Child was a boss, box office success, but how did it end up with its star Eddie Murphy calling it a piece of shit? Yeah. Hey, I saw this in the theater. This was at the height of my Eddie Murphy idolatry. You know, yeah. where I, he was my favorite, and I enjoyed it. Was it the best movie that he's made? No. 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 But and, and honestly rewatching it again, it's a lot worse than I remember. <laughs> well, it's you but, can tell 
that it was not supposed to be the movie that came out. Yeah. And yeah. The, you can tell the scenes that they filmed after the test screening because Eddie Murphy could not give less of a shit. Yeah. You know, yeah. in those scenes. Any, any, yeah, yeah. We'll get into it. We'll get into it. But, you know, I want to see, I wish they would release the director's cut or the cut that they showed. The like, original. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's time yeah. now. You know, why not? I agree. I, my, my guess is they probably just don't have it. I, they probably just don't care. I mean, I'm <laughs> sure they have it. Yeah. But it's just, you know, I don't yeah, know if there's I, a, You'd be surprised. A lot of times that stuff just falls by the wayside. I don't know. In the 80s, they kept, I mean, you know, they, they were starting with video and stuff, so they yeah. kept stuff. I don't know. I mean, they always put stuff. Uh, who knows? Who knows? Let's, well, Time will only tell. That's true. The Golden Child starts with Dennis Feldman, son of attorney turned film producer and Hollywood executive Phil Feldman. Uh, nepotism. Yeah, oh yeah. As a child, uh, Dennis was an extra in The Wild Bunch in 1969, which his father produced. Hey, look. Peck and pa. Yeah. You want that extra 10 grand for your budget? <laughs> You're putting my boy in the picture. Yeah. He's You're a... putting him in. I think he was just an extra. I don't think any lines or anything. But, put him in as an extra. But that's as far as I'll go. The fact is that he was around movies his entire life. Yes. I mean, that's, yeah. Uh, he was born into the business, he baby. He was born into the business. He's a child of the Hollywood scene. He went on to attend Harvard, where he became interested in photography. He then studied graphic design at the Yale School of Art and Architecture, and uh, Feldman became an acclaimed still photographer, teaching photography for 10 years at San Francisco City College, Boston University. Woo! Boston UCLA. University! Woo! Woo! Yeah. That's where I graduated. Yeah. He left a little bit before you were there, but... Yeah, what, but what you, a privileged little life he's had. Yeah, very much what a, so. What a, what a wonderful life of just traipsing around, pursuing your artistic dreams with not a care in the world he, as your father yeah. produces movie after movie. Yeah, he's he definitely had a lot of privilege. Yeah, lucky duck. Uh, he has released two photography books, uh, one after an 11-month sojourn through 49 of the 50 continental states. You know or, why we know that he has it really easy? Because he went on a sojourn. Yeah, that was... <laughs> Only that was the uber-wealthy have yes. sojourns, Adam. Uh, I know, that's why I wrote it that way. Yeah. Uh, the other book was about the lives of people in Hollywood, where his uh, wife owned a store. Uh, Feldman then turned his attention to Hollywood, getting jobs, doing script doctoring under the tutelage of his writer brother, Randy. So it's all nepotism all the time. Yeah, he had three other siblings that I think were all in the business. Uh his first success was just one of the guys with Jeff Franklin, who went on to create Full House in 1987, mm. the, the writer. There is some controversy that Lisa Gottlieb and her writing partner did most of the writing. Uh, Lisa Gottlieb, Gottlieb was the director of just one of the guys. Oh. Uh, but they were denied writing credit by the producers. And surprisingly enough, Dennis Feldman was one of the co-producers on that. Interesting. Shocker. Uh, the film was a modest success, but his dad was a producer, so, you know. <laughs> During this time, Feldman was working on other scripts. One of these was a script called Species. It would eventually be made into a movie in 1995. Good movie. Followed by Species 2. Yeah, I like the first one. Yeah, the second one wasn't too bad. And then it kind of went downhill really from there. I don't remember the second one at all. So Species was a good movie. Second Species one was, was good. good. Species 2 was released in 1998. Species 3 was a TV movie in 2004. What, and what, what TV Species show? Species The Awakening. I mean, what channel? Sci-fi. They were all on sci-fi. So they... Oh, okay. I... Well, I thought there was there was only two in the theater. Mm -hmm. That's so crazy. Yeah, yeah. Species three was a TV movie, and Species: The Awakening, which I believe was like a prequel, was released in two thousand seven. I believe it was all in Sci Fi Channel. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, another script he was working on, The Rose of Tibet, was a nod to Raymond Chandler movies, but with supernatural elements. Uh, this was smack in the middle of the satanic panic gripping the country. Um, so I'm pretty sure he was just trying to cash in. Well. 
I mean, there was a lot of stuff going on. Yes, the satanic panic was huge, but it was yeah. all about preschools and, you know, satanic forces eating their children and molesting children. Yeah. And this is, you know, yeah, he, I think it was, uh, I don't know, I think it was interesting of him to turn that into yeah. a, a sort of like film noir kind of situation because it fit. Yeah, no, it did. It did. I, just dealing with the, the demonology and, and the stop motion animation at the end, it was just so like, I can't, Im- I imagine that there were people complaining about this movie at the time. I don't rem- maybe, but I, I mean, don't remember yeah. it being because it was Eddie Murphy, yeah, and he was yeah. on the side of against the demons. <laughs> so you know, and that's I think, true. You know, I think they were they were cool with it because he wasn't you know, right, right, trying was, to get the child to eat the blood. He was trying to to beat the, the trying demons. to save the golden child. <laughs> good point. Good point. Uh, he named the main character Chandler Jarrell after Raymond Chandler. Interesting. In his movie, The Rose of Tibet. Uh, the script turned some heads and started a bidding war in Hollywood over the rights. Uh, Paramount ended up putting up $330,000 for the script rights, and was he was given the option to direct despite the fact that he'd never directed a movie ever in his entire life. Yeah, for a moment. Yeah. What do, wait, what do you mean for a moment? I mean, they didn't let him direct it, right? No, but it was an option in his yeah, contract. Yeah. No, so, I mean, if he, had, if he had fought it, then he could have done it. I mean... So I, I, that's all I'm saying is that he he could have if he wanted to. Oh, okay. But but he could have. But I'm sure the studio would have made his life a living hell. Yeah. If he didn't. But they acquiesce. shouldn't. They shouldn't have included that option in the first place. Yeah, probably because he's dead. You know, he had a great effing lawyer because exactly. of his father. Exactly. Uh, I'm sure it was daddy's lawyer. We don't even know this. We're being really mean to him. While writing the script, Feldman thought the lead should be Mel Gibson. Yeah, Gibson was huge at the time. He would have been great, especially for that kind of, uh, you know, detective part. More serious. Yeah, it would have been very interesting. Yeah. Uh, The studio reached out to Mel Gibson, but he turned the part down. Uh, Paramount then turned to a newly minted star, Eddie Murphy. Uh, Murphy had a contract with Paramount, having earned them a ton of money with 48 hours trading places in Beverly Hills Cop. Uh, yeah, he had done them all with Paramount. He, By this point, Murphy had actually started his own production company, getting producing credit for The Golden Child. Yeah, well, he'd um, earned it. And that's the only way they're yeah. going to get him. You know, it's, it's, yeah. At this point, profit participation at the top is, is a no-brainer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely reference our earlier Eddie Murphy episodes where we talk about uh, his early movies and um, and the fact that this is kind of a postscript to that because it's it was just another step in him creating this entertainment juggernaut, you know. Right. Yeah. A misstep, some would say, but, you know, it's well, not – I don't believe yeah. it's his fault. Not necessarily, but I think what he got out of this was the production company. Like, I think that was the, the step forward. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I mean, obviously this movie, yeah, yeah, it did not turn out the way that, that he was hoping, for sure. Well, he did a good pivot into pretty much family films after this. Yeah, he was and like, he, he wrote every single, the next five movies he did, he wrote himself. Yeah, which, yeah, and that's kind of, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was, what, uh, Harlem Nights and... Um, well, like Coming to America and... Uh, Coming to America, great movie. Yeah. Great movie. Harlem Nights and... Okay movie. It, it's I haven't seen a long time. Eh, it's okay. It's a bit of a. It's kind of when he was getting a bit too not big for his britches, but just nobody was telling him, "Hey, maybe that's not as funny as it right. as you think it is." <laughs> <laughs> too many yes men. Yeah. Yeah, I think but the quality. What do wasn't you do? As good. Yeah, I mean, he's hey, Eddie Murphy. Like, exactly, you and you know, it was a it was a an interesting 
failure? I don't like to use that word. It, but it, yeah, an interesting, it, wasn't a, uh, it was interesting. It just wasn't as good as it could have been. Yeah. You know, yeah. maybe he was nervous working with. Uh, he was working with some of his heroes. So yeah, I mean, he was working possible. with uh, Richard Pryor. Yeah. You know? And Richard Pryor at the time, too, was. I think he was suffering from CP because he yeah. famously at the time, he even in the movie he had to hold a, like a Bic lighter in oh, his hand yeah. the whole to keep his hand from shaking oh, wow. and to keep his hand from from just, you know, uh, curling. Oh, really? Into wow. itself. Yeah, wow. because it was so bad. So if you even yeah. if you look at the movie, you can see he's gripping he's the hand. Holding. Yeah, it's almost like uh, Bob Dole. Bob Dole, Dole yeah, with, uh, yeah. Bob Dole here with my Bob Dole. Uh, I got a pen. You need a pen. I got a pencil. <laughs> my other hand's a sharpener. But uh, <laughs> so awful. Uh, <laughs> anyway, but yeah, I mean, I, anyway, I think I think this was a big disappointment for him in a, in, in a way that it didn't turn out the way that he wanted. And maybe that's why he took control because. Yeah, 100 percent. No, yeah. he's, he famously is not a big fan of this movie. No, no, and he's and I I think that the, a lot of it is him writing his own movies and and having the production company being like no like I know what the hell I'm doing yeah and, but for me at the height of my fandom I still really dig this movie oh yeah yeah for sure you know, there's I, a lot to like it's it is about seventy percent Beverly Hills Cop in Tibet <laughs> <laughs> but you know. It yeah. really is. It's got the, uh, <laughs> it is essentially Axel Foley. It's man, like, and we were watching it, and it's got the, <laughs> the, the scene that has to be in every Eddie Murphy movie where he is skulking through a mansion. Yeah, we, we were talking about. Oh, there was a lot. Okay, yeah. All of you young kids out there, all of you young kids out there <laughs> who are great with cutting stuff together, somebody please cut together Axel Foley going through the mansion in Beverly Hills Cop. And intercut that with uh, uh, Chandler Gerard or whatever Jarell. is Jarell, Chandler Jarell going through uh, Moomsie's uh, <laughs> mansion, at, you know, like they're stalking each other. I want to see that. I'm too lazy to do it. Please do it. <laughs> uh, Murphy had actually turned down a part in Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, to star in this film. Do you know which part? Um, it was actually – it ended up going to Christine somebody. It was started as a female, and they had rewritten it for him as a comedy relief. And then when he turned it down, they made it the uh, – I remember the that. It was really like a cool moment where everybody was like, Murphy's going to be in Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. No, he – yeah, I – I don't think at that point he wanted to play the the second fiddle anymore. He was looking to do something different, and that's why he signed on to this. Yeah. Because at the time, it was something very different for him. Yeah. Um, Both movies, actually, surprisingly enough, released on the same day in 1986. And I saw them both probably bouncing from theater (laughs) to theater. Nice. Uh, So with Murphy on board, Paramount really wanted to change the script to suit Eddie Murphy more. Uh, They wanted to add more of the, quote-unquote, street smart, smart aleck humor that earned Beverly Hills Cop over $300 million. Uh, Also with a bigger star on board, Paramount discouraged Feldman from directing. Uh, They offered the film to John Carpenter to direct, but he turned it down to work on Big Trouble in Little China. That would have been interesting, but I'm glad he turned it down because then we wouldn't have had Big Trouble in Little China. 100%, yes. Uh, which uh, it, which is kind of the flip side to this movie, which the reason why we picked them is they are kind of very similar movies yeah. in terms of tone and plot, but the execution of Big Trouble in Little China <laughs> is so much better. I oh, mean, it yeah. has like half of the same actors yeah. or stars yeah. in both of these movies. Yeah, they've... they've both of these movies! They but, uh, overlap a lot. Yeah. yeah. James Hong, who's in both movies, is yeah. basically 
playing the opposite characters. You know, he's the good guy and the bad it, guy. It was weird seeing him as a good guy in the right. golden child. And then the other guy, uh, the, the journalist guy. Victor Wong. Victor Wong is pretty yeah. much the same guy in both movies. <laughs> Victor Wong, we'll get into him because he's had a uh, he's fascinating, fascinating yeah. life. He's both those guys, man. Both of them, yeah, both yeah. Of them are just unbelievable. And yeah. they ne- there needs to be a documentary about both of those gentlemen. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Separate, not, not, not a documentary about both of them. Mooshing them together, no, but let's no, no, do no. One, one of each. Yeah, we can do yeah. that today, people. Yeah, we, yes, we can. Yes, we can. Hong and Huang. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Uh, so they eventually settled on the director, Michael Ritchie, uh, not Guy Ritchie's father. He's not? No. Uh. <laughs> Ritchie made a name for himself doing sports movies like Downhill Racer. Is he his stepfather? Yeah. Okay. Downhill Racer, The Bad News Bears, Semi-Tough, and Wildcats. All, except I don't remember Downhill Racer, but all of the other movies. <laughs> really great. Bad News Bears, the original, right? Yeah, With Walter yeah. Matthau? Yeah. Freaking classic. One of the greatest Sports movies ever made. One of the funniest movies ever made. One of the last times you're going to see kids drinking beer and cursing and all that stuff. Like yeah. just being driving cars. You want to see what it was like being a kid in the 70s? Watch <laughs> Bad News Bears. 100% accurate. Uh, Semi-Tough. Great movie with Burt Reynolds. Yeah. And I think Mac Davis as a couple of football right. players and, and what it was like yeah. to like age in the NFL. And then Wildcats was a hilarious movie with Goldie Hawn Goldie playing a coach, so a football coach. Yeah. And it was the beginning of uh, Woody Harrelson and oh, yeah. uh, Wesley Snipes' careers. They oh, yeah, played, that's right. You know, it was their first movie together. Yeah, yeah. And, that's uh, crazy. And a really awesome movie. A very 80s, <laughs> but also a <laughs> really a great, great movie. movie. Yeah, yeah. So really this guy's – he Richie – Hey, man, props he did, to him. Yeah. Well, on top of that, he also directed The Candidate in 1972 with Robert Redford. It was amazing. Pl- political thriller, great movie. And Fletch and Fletch Lives. Fletch, awesome. Fletch Lives. Yeah. <laughs> That's where he, he, yeah. he should have retired at Fletch. No, he should have retired at The Golden Child because it was after Fletch. Okay. Then he, and then Fletch Lives was literally the movie he did after this. Oh, man. Swing and a miss. <laughs> yeah. So sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Although eventually, I think he wrote the script for Cool Runnings, if I remember correctly. Cool Runnings, uh, man. I don't think Where, he directed oh, it. Everybody did Jamaican accents. That was just like, it was that cultural nightmare <laughs> when that yes. movie came out. It was cool Runnings, man. <laughs> like, oh, shut up, man. Oh, and you got, oh, you're a white dude with dreadlocks, too. Gross. That happened a lot in the Oof. 80s. A lot of appropriation yeah. in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. A lot in the 90s. Early 90s was bad that way, yeah. We didn't know any better. I, we were just a bunch of privileged Hollywood we just royalty. Really, really liked the music, man. <laughs> we did. We didn't know. Man, we just put our sombreros on and our fake mustaches. And it was an excuse know. to smoke a lot of weed. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Everything was an excuse to smoke a lot of weed. Still is. We don't need excuses yeah, anymore. That, that hasn't ended. <clears throat> so uh, after the cast, Eddie Murphy, and they got the director in place. They went on to cast Charles Dance as Sardo Noompsy. Sardo Noompsy. Noompsy. Noompsy, yeah. Up to this point, Charles Dance had appeared in a number of parts for British TV. He'd only done a couple feature films. He had a bit part in For Your, your Eyes Only, nice. the James Bond movie. For Your he was, Eyes Only. He was just one of the, like, extra bad guys that fights James Bond a couple times. Only for you. Wait, who sings this? That's Sheena Easton, baby. I don't. God, it's so funny. I always associate that one song with her. I didn't realize she did. I am not averse in the Bond movies. Like, I need to get better at it. Everybody's done one pretty much yeah. at this point. Yeah, that's true. Everybody. 
I think Billie Eilish did the last one. He did the last one, yeah. It was good. She's awesome. It was good, yeah. Uh, But yeah, that was... uh... Uh, Yeah, so for your your eyes only, uh, he was playing a little bad guy in that. Uh, Not a little bad guy. Little bad guy. Little bad guy. guy. He was just an... He was a thug. Um, He also had a co-starring part opposite Meryl Streep in the movie Plenty. Where he just kept saying, that's plenty. (laughs) She'd be like, would you like a little bit more to eat? Mm, No. That's plenty. <laughs> plenty coming to theaters. <laughs> December so, 1986. After that, he, he went on to do The Golden Child, and then he would go on to play villains for the majority of the rest of his career. Oh, yeah. Uh, most famously in uh, The Last Action Hero with his crazy <laughs> eyes. I thought you were going to say the Game of Thrones. Well, but, yes. But yes, Last Action Hero is fantastic. We're, we're talking to the Gen X crowd. Man. I know. They don't I care know, about Game of Thrones. Well, Too much was, nudity. Now, but this <laughs> Too much nudity this is, for me. It's but this was much. the thing is that he actually after Last Action Hero, he kind of fell by the wayside for a while. He mm. went I mean, yes, but he was doing a lot he of worked. theater yeah. and he was doing yeah. a lot of a lot of television and film in yes. in England. In England. Yeah, he never stopped working, but if it didn't happen in America, it didn't happen. If you watch like me, if you're a a Britophile, a BBC Anglophile. Uh, I, that's for the regulars, the <laughs> okay. reggies, not the real snoots like myself. Yeah. Um, you will see him show up in a lot of stuff in like the nineties and oh yeah, and yeah, yeah, early two yeah. thousands, and you know he he was in a lot of stuff. He's great. Uh, he's fantastic. He's got such a great voice, and oh, he plays a villain so well. Yes, and he, he all culminating with him dying on the toilet, getting <laughs> shot with a couple of arrows by his son. On the turlet. <laughs> His dwarf, dwarf yes. son. Yeah. Why well, you got to oh, go there? Because so he was. Well, that's true. He, well, <laughs> he was, uh, yeah. I mean, for him, I guess it was, it was the, the worst that could happen. You know, his oh, the yeah. son that killed but his that was, wife that he always hated. That was the beauty of killed it. Killed him on yeah. the toilet. It was that's like the, mm, you, delicious. Being hoist by your own petard, man. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Charlotte Lewis says, Key Nang. Uh, Charlotte Lewis, despite playing a... Uh, Chinese, I guess. Tibetan? Tibetan? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In, in this, uh, her mother was Irish English, while her father, a doctor whom she never met, is half Chilean and half Iraqi. Yeah, she played a lot of like Thai or yeah. different types yeah. of Asian characters. And uh, honestly, I thought she was probably Thai. Yeah, I didn't I, that's, know. Yeah, that's what I thought too. And, I, you know, she shows what an ignorant asshole I am, but. Um, I, uh, I was surprised that she was not just have any. But it just shows you how Hollywood is like. Well, you kind of look the part. Yeah. Let's let's. Uh, yeah, you got that. You're ethnic. Yeah. You know, I had a good friend. <laughs> she would go out on a lot of auditions, and it was just like ethnically ambiguous. <laughs> and then she was fairly ethnically ambiguous, so it was just like, yeah. okay, you could play, you know, this, that, and the other, and it's just so insulting. It's like the dude who plays Monk. Uh, in the TV show Monk. Tony Shalhoub. Tony Shalhoub, who you need a Middle Eastern guy, you need oh, yeah. an Italian guy, yeah. you need a Spanish dude. Yeah. Same with uh, He's there. That, the bald guy that makes all the drinks for everybody on Zoom. You Stanley? all know who we're talking about. Yeah, something? Tucci. Stanley Tucci. The Tucci. Hey, Stanley the Tucci. Tucci. Yeah, yeah, he's another hey. one that they're just that, that's listen been... to us try to remember <laughs> names. <laughs> yes, this is most old man thing about this goddamn podcast is us being like that guy from the thing, you know, the you one know. with the thing on his face, you know, yeah. the one the guy that does the the the, the doots, the doodly doots. Yeah. Uh, so Charlotte Lewis made her acting debut in the Roman Polanski movie Pirates. Uh, she was 18 years old when she made The Golden Child. That's insane. Which she is crazy to me. Does yeah. not look or carry herself as an 18 year old. No. I thought she was no. like. Close to 30. Yeah, exactly, exactly. 
after she starred in some movies with James Spader and Dolph Lundgren, as well as guest starring role on Seinfeld, she didn't do a whole lot of notable things. Uh, no, but afterwards. she had a decent career. Yeah, she's had a decent career. In 2010, she better career than we've had. Uh, okay, well, it's not a competition, but yeah. <laughs> that's cool. Isn't it, Adam? We're in no. America. In 2010, she accused Roman Polanski of sexually assaulting her during the filming of Pirates when she was 16. Uh, there was a savage media assault to discredit her, claiming that she knew full well what she was doing and that she what, was by actually being assaulted. Him. Yeah, at sixteen. Literally, this is how she kind of stopped acting after this. Well, because f them, man. Yeah. I mean, come on, no. This whole like slut shaming or child shaming. Yeah. If you're sixteen, you don't know what you're doing. He was a forty, fifty year old man. Yeah, you know, he knows what he's doing. She yeah. doesn't. Poor, oh God, just yeah. burns my britches, baby. Yeah, it's awful. It was just absolutely awful. F him. I mean, that guy, look, he's made some really great films that I've really enjoyed, but he is a child molester. Yes, you know? 100%. And there's no excusing that at all. Yeah. I don't care if his wife was murdered. I don't care what happened. I mean, it's horrible what happened to Sharon Tate. But for him personally, it doesn't excuse, I, it doesn't excuse you being kids. a child molester, no matter how sad or effed up you are. Yeah. You're, you're, there's something... Grief does not turn you into a pederast. No, no. That is in you. No. Sorry, yeah. Polanski fans, but that's where I'm at. No, he's, he was such a pedophile that he literally moved out of the country. Yeah, to avoid being charged I, for yeah, raping a 13-year-old child. Anyway. The more you know. Boom, boom, boom. But hey, the Academy gave him an Oscar. Woo! Yes. <clears throat> Standing ovation. Yep. That's what we do. Uh, J.L. Rayate as the golden child it, itself... Or himself, which actually turns out it herself. was herself. She yeah. was a girl all along. It was actually a girl. Her full name is Jasmine Lauren Rayate, and she was seven when filming began. Do they ever? No. Do they ever? It's a boy the whole time. Well, I was saying, but do, do they call him a boy? Yeah. Oh, okay. Through the whole movie. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, this was her one and only theatrical performance, as she then retired from acting at the tender age of seven. I don't think she had any lines. Maybe she a couple. Had one. She had one word, and I don't remember what it was. But it was boop. Yeah, poop. Got a poop. <laughs> hey. Hey, how's that cage? Poop. Got a poop. <laughs> yeah. I've been in the cage. Yeah, I mean, she had to poop out those little petals. There was something, it was something she said right before she she brings back Kenang. I don't remember what it, uh, yeah. what it is, but um, Victor Wong is old Goopa. <laughs> old Goopa. It's like a friggin' Mario Brothers <laughs> <laughs> villain. So oh. I, I, here's old Goopa coming in. You, I don't know if they jump actually on his back. said his name in the movie or not, but it's just like, oh, I, Goopa. old Goopa. Uh, Victor Wong grew up in Chinatown in San Francisco. Uh, Wong studied political science and journalism at the University of California, Berkeley, and theology at the University of Chicago. Yeah. Uh, he was born in 1927, I believe. So like it was, yeah. So he was, he was coming around in college around the forties, shortly after the war. Uh, Wong joined the Second City Comedy Troupe and stayed with Langston Hughes. That's crazy. Like, what? He just hung out with Langston Hughes in Chicago and was did comedy. It's hey, man, Langston was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> His space work when he was improvising was bar none. Yes, nobody was and. better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wong returned to San Francisco for the summer, taking part in a theater production, and he never returned to Chicago. Uh, this was uh, in the mid late 40s, early 50s. Uh, he resumed his studies at the San Francisco Art Institute under Mark Rothko, earning Crazy. a master's degree in 1962. I, this is what kills me about this guy. He's like Forrest Gump. He's just everywhere. Yeah. 
After the Kennedy assassination, Victor Wong decided to focus on journalism, uh, given the fact that he had a degree in journalism from the University of California. Uh, he worked on air at KQED's newsroom from 1968 until 1974 when he was stricken with balls, Bill's palsy, paralyzing half his face. Oh, bummer. Now, here's yeah. the opposite of our intrepid writer who had a very <laughs> easy and yes. privileged life. we got a guy that's worked his way up from everything yeah. to get to where he's going. And he still has get popped Bill palsy when he's pretty young. Yeah, yeah, he was, and yeah, he would have been, he would have been less than 50, so I mean, like, crazy. in his late 40s, yeah, that's that's crazy, and he was, and the fact is that he was on, he was a TV personality for six years. Yeah. Uh, so once his uh, face uh, was paralyzed, he had to stop, but during his tenure on Newsroom, Wong is actually credited with inventing the photojournalistic essay, yeah. covering stories with his still camera and returning to narrate them in the studio. Yeah, the guy is incredible, and he, like I said, he deserves yeah. a documentary, something that is... His life is fascinating. Yeah, exactly. It's just fascinating. Uh, so after his journalism career ended, he turned back to acting and made his debut in Dim Sum, A Little Bit of Heart, directed by Wayne Wang. Sweet movie. Yeah. Wayne Wang was a really great director in, mm-hmm. in the 80s. In fact, he's gone on record saying that Victor Wong was kind of his hero, uh, even though he had only worked with him that one time. Like, it was... Uh, he wanted to live his life like Victor Wong. Well, don't we all? Yeah. <laughs> he would go on to act in Big Trouble in Little China and The Last Emperor... While on the Best Picture winner, The Last Emperor, he had fights with Bernardo Bertolucci about historical accuracy, and most of his scenes were cut from the movie. Obviously. Great filmmaker, by the way. Oh, yeah. But sure. what balls to, you know. I Look, I can see it from both sides. I get Victor Wong. I mean, he's making a movie about his homeland and, yeah. and his ancestors, yes. and he's like, come on now. At the same time, it's a movie. Right. Like, it doesn't have to be 100% historically accurate. No, but wouldn't you want to be? I would think so. <laughs> Like, wouldn't you kind of put your ego aside and be like, oh, I mean, it's not, it doesn't sound like he's like, well, they didn't have these gold things, so you have to completely redo the set. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was probably just things that, you know, were were, were probably less appealing to Western people because yeah, it was the yeah, truth, you know? Yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Victor's son, uh, Lion Wong, of the hardcore punk band Tales of Terror, nice. uh, died in 1986 after being attacked by a young oh. man while walking home in Sacramento. Ah. Uh, do you know Tales of Terror? The the band, they, they influenced a lot of early grunge. Nice. Like, um, Kurt Cobain said it was one of his favorite bands. Yeah, no. Yeah, I have heard. Yes. But, uh, yeah. I, I, I thought I had, but then I looked into them, and I had never... I don't think I've ever actually heard any of their music. Well, we should... Uh, Look them up. We should listen to them. Uh, Wong was actually asked to film the prologue scene for Big Trouble in Little China shortly after his son's wake. Oh. And after shooting the scene, Wong suffered his first stroke. Good Lord. Yeah. It was stressful. It was a stressful time. Well, yeah, I think. I would yeah. think so. Uh, upon learning the events of September 11th, 2001, Wong and his wife Rose spent the day trying to get news of Wong's sons, all of whom lived in New York City. Luckily, they were all unharmed. After his wife went to sleep, Wong stayed up to continue following the news. And at some point during the morning, he died of a heart attack. Man, another casualty of 9-11. Yeah. You know, there is that's the I'm not joking around. I know there were a lot of people that died yeah. from shock or died from stress or died from yeah. whatever reason during that period, because it was it was an insane time. I mean, it was if crazy. You remember going through yeah. that as an adult. It just the creepiest thing was sitting outside in the silence of no airplanes yeah. at all. It was deafening in a way. Yeah, you know, especially living in a big city or in a flight path like we did. Right, right. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was 
it was just a deluge of horror yeah. every day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was not fun. Uh, he was seventy four, and uh, he had, but he had a great life. And, and still not long enough, man. No, no, we need. He could have done a lot more, a lot more. Uh, Randall Tex Cobb as Till. He was the uh, goofy bad guy who end up ends up helping at the end. Yes, because he got the, touched. The um, yeah, where they just took. So I, I gather. <laughs> When Eddie Murphy went over to the Star Trek <laughs> set, you know, to audition or whatever, he swiped one of the Klingon heads, and they just slapped that on old Ty Tex Cobb, Randall Tex Cobb's head, and just didn't paint it brown, and he basically just looked like an albino Klingon. He did. In that movie. I would not. I think that you're probably partially right. It's just not Eddie Murphy. I'm sure it was probably the art department goes, hey, let's grab this thing. They want to make him weird looking. Star Trek 4 is right around the corner. (laughs) You guys want to do a heist? Just sneak in. Hey. (laughs) It seems Uh, like a lot of the makeup was weird. The monkey man was weird looking. But he was creepy, though. Yeah, he was was good. He was good. Uh, So Randall Tex Cobb was actually a professional heavyweight boxer and a professional kickboxer. I used to watch him box before I saw him. Yeah. There was a period of time. Uh, in the 80s when Laser Tag Larry and I yeah. were big, big fight fans. Cause it, mostly because of uh, Mike Tyson. Tyson. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But there were other guys, too, that were like... It, the, that's when the fights kind of became... It, it was the resurgence b- between the the Muhammad Ali time mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then the uh, Mike Tyson Mike time. Tyson. Yeah, and then yeah. Mike Tyson, you know, he completely reinvigorated, reinvigorated yeah, yeah. it. Right. So we watched a lot. And they would have a lot of his fights were on like the ABC, you know, the same kind of shows where yeah. they would have like the, the <laughs> Mr. T in the in the you know greatest bouncer right, right. competition that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. He was uh, Texkov was widely considered to possess one of the greatest chins of all time, uh, and he defeated such notables as Bernardo Mercado, Ernie Shavers, and Leon Spinks. Yeah, I, he, and he also had no cartilage in his nose. He had the cartilage removed oh. in his nose, which most boxers do. Weird. Oh yeah, because you don't want to have your nose busted every time you oh. have a fight. Oh. So I did his not know no- that. Yeah, you, most boxers they can just mush their nose because oh. oh. there's nothing there. Oh. Because there's oh. no reason. Oh. If you you know you're going to get your nose busted every time. Oh, uh, he, he was... Next time you watch Raising yeah, Arizona, now, look at his nose. Oh, oh yeah, it yeah. Is, yeah. Look, it looks like this. He was ranked in the global top 10 heavyweight boxers by The Ring in 1981 and 1982 and Box Rec in 1982. Just a slobby looking guy, though, too. Oh, it was yeah, just like, yeah. he's very hairy and just, he's, he's, a, he's like, he's... He looks like a big goon. Exactly. Yeah. There was, they're not going to market Tex Cobb as like no. the next, <laughs> you know, Great White Hope or whatever. Uh, in addition to playing a bad guy in The Golden Child, Cobb has played a series of villainous roles in films such as... Police Academy 4, Citizens on Patrol, Blind Fury, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, Liar, Liar, Naked Gun, 33 and a Third, The Final Insult, Fletch Lives, and Ernest Goes to Jail. He's also made guest appearances on several television shows, including... Miami Vice, Highlander, The Series, Married, With Children, Moonlighting, Walker, Texas Ranger, Ooh, With Her Buddy, MacGyver... As the character Earthquake and the X-Files. Not to be cons- confused with the Gen X-Files. <laughs> yes. One of his more memorable roles is the menacing outlaw biker slash bounty hunter Leonard Smalls in the 1987 Coen Brothers film Raising Arizona. My name's Leonard Smalls. And I get my bed. Even if it's a baby. So I'll get your baby back. <laughs> <laughs> it's so gross. It's basically his thing. If you listen yeah. to it, it's, oh, like, yeah, it's yeah. like somebody just jammed a bunch of cotton up his nose. 
before and then the action gets baby. <laughs> Joel Cohen uh, later described Cobb as difficult to work with. Oh, really? Saying, He's less an actor than a forest of nature, and I am not surprised at all. I they, they got what they wanted from him. He was brilliant. Yeah, that is an. I can't wait till we do that. Oh, the yeah. Raising oh, Arizona yeah. episode because that is an absolute perfect movie. Yeah, without yeah. a doubt, man. It's hard for me to watch that movie because that was on the background for like two years when I was in college. Just yeah. played, yeah. just played every party. Every day. It was just on. We wore out like three tapes. Oh wow, wow! In 1993, he appeared in a caricature of himself in a commercial for Old El Paso Salsa. Old El Paso Salsa. <laughs> It was. Uh, I did actually watch that commercial because I was curious, yeah. and uh, yeah, it did not disappoint. <laughs> Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Uh, James Hong was cast as Doctor Hong. Woo! Yeah. Uh, Hong was actually born in Minnesota. Oh man, he is so amazing. Yeah, he's he was fantastic. Uh, his father emigrated is, to Chicago. Is he's still alive? Is. Yeah, he's still alive. He's ninety three. Don't you be disparaging? No, no, no. Uh, his father emigrated to Chicago from Hong Kong via Canada and then settled in Minneapolis. Nice. Uh, his dad owned a restaurant and was the leader of the local hip sing tong, which is the Chinese mafia. When I first saw that, I thought it said hip hop song. <laughs> nope. I was like, interesting. Hip sing tong. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> was, I was dream. like, oh, okay. All right. Uh, so when he became uh, uh, education age, they sent him to Hong Kong. He studied there until the age of 10. And uh, he first developed an interest in performing arts after watching Peking opera performers rehearse at his father's shop. Ooh. Uh, he studied civil engineering at the University of Southern California. Damn. And Hong later became interested in acting and trained with Jeff Corey, who eventually was in Battle Beyond the Stars. Battle Beyond the Stars. He was the blacklisted guy who who taught everybody in Hollywood right. while he was blacklisted. Yeah. yeah. The name, Jeff Corey, the guy who no one knows who he is, but would have been an incredibly famous actor. And his son is Jeff Corey. Who is the nature guy that does all those? I don't know. I'm just kidding. But there is, I think, <laughs> okay. a guy named Jeff Corey who Wait, does so, okay. nature programs. Okay. Uh, Hong, could be a son. It could be. Yeah, it could be related. Uh, Hong was a road engineer in Los Angeles County for seven and a half years, acting during his vacations and sick days. Road engineer. Yeah. That sounds like a cool job. <laughs> what do you do? I'm a road engineer, buddy. Ride the road engineering. He eventually quit engineering for good to devote himself to acting and voice work full time. Nice. He has appeared. That was when he was 70. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He's appeared in over 600 movies and TV shows. Everything. Everything. Yeah. You can Uh, think of he has been in or on. In 2020, Daniel Day Kim discovered that Hong did not have a star on the Walk of Fame, so he started a GoFundMe to pay for the required $55,000 fee to get a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Right. It used to be 30. Yeah, 55 now. Uh, he earned the star in 2022, just a few weeks ago at the age of 93. I saw him on one of the Jimmys. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. No, Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel, Kimmel James Corden. I don't know. There's a lot of Jimmys on the late night. Jimmys, yeah. I'm not complaining. I love the name. Not Jimmy, but Jim. <laughs> James is good. But Jimmy, Jimmy denigrates the James brand, in my opinion. We're not going to get into it. But I did okay. see <laughs> <laughs> any further. I did see... Uh, Mr. Huang. Hong? Hong. Hong. I get them mixed up. Sorry. It's okay. I Hong. did see James Hong. Yeah. I did see James Hong on the show. And he came out with a, a, like a, a dragon, you know, a, a two-person Chinese, puppet Chinese, Chinese dragon, dragon yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. used yeah, in yeah. ceremonies, yeah. And dances and such, mm-hmm. different things. 
came out Dance Fighting the Dragon. Crazy. Not like an old man dance fighting the dragon, like a young man, <laughs> you know, dancing, doing the moves, doing the thing. The guy has so much pep, so much energy, and so much love for life. He is an inspiration to jaded old, yeah, you know, jerks like me. It's like, God, that guy has been through so much, done so much, yeah. lived through so much. And it's just still full of so much energy and hope and, and positivity. And 40 years later, still looks like he's 90. <laughs> oh, my God. He has looked the exact same since 1937. His, his, I think his, his, uh. It's his hairline. Well, his hairline, but he's, he's got a little more creasy, but like, it, it, he still looks exactly the yeah, same. Because he dyes that hair. Make sure it's <laughs> just black. Black is night. <laughs> uh, Pons Mar played Fu, the, the weird monkey guy. Uh, that sounds really like a, a Star Wars sentence. Pons Mar. I know. The guy's literally name was Pons Mar. I, Where's no, he from? No, I don't know. I, I could not find hardly any information about the guy. Uh, his first feature film as an actor was Return to Oz in 1985, which he played the lead Wheeler. Yeah, you I remember totally that? remember yeah. him. Yes. Because he once you realize who he is, yeah, like he, think about the movies I'm listing, and you will remember oh, yeah. because he's such a weirdo. He was just so bendy. He was so bendy yeah, all the time. Yeah, he's kind of like our buddy. Uh, he's kind of like our friend Marty Matulis. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He I don't, play creatures. I don't think he's quite as tall. No, and I don't know if Marty's quite as bendy, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> He's old. No offense, baby. You're no doing offense great to work. Marty. He's it's the fantastic. most successful out of all of us, but he may not be as bendy as Pons Mar. <laughs> On Return to Oz, he also worked behind the scenes as a performance coordinator. Uh, he also appeared in Masters of the Universe. <sighs> and perhaps the greatest credit ever oh, yeah. was the voice and performed as... Uh, oh, sorry. He performed as the voice and body model for the Noid for Domino's Name Pizza. the Noid! Don't roid the noid. What was the thing? Don't avoid, avoid the noid. The noid. Don't roid the noid. Don't roid the noid. Avoid the noid. That was what it was because steroids were really big back then. So they were like, because occasionally people would roid the noid and he'd get real big and just like smash pizza into people's faces. It was really yeah, aggressive. Don't. That's why you had to avoid the noid because yeah. he was full of roids. <laughs> avoid the roided noid. Uh, so Ponsmar also worked as a performer for the entire 65-episode run of the television series Dinosaurs. He's, I'm the baby. He's a puppeteer now. Like, he does it all puppeteering. Yeah. I don't know if he did the baby or not. Well, the baby was probably just a puppet puppet. Unless they, like, jammed No, that's baby what I mean. He does he does puppetry now. Oh, like that's nice. So I don't know which part he actually played. All right. Way um, to go, Mr. Pons Mar. Mr. Mar? Mr. Pons? the planet Joktu. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Peter Kwong is Tommy Tong. Ah, Peter Kwong. Awesome, awesome actor. He's so He's badass so in yeah. uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah, another, another Big Trouble in Little China actor. Yeah, basically, they, they might have... What happened there? Did... When they asked Carpenter to direct, did, was, did they ask him during the casting session? And he was just watching all these guys go by like, I'll take him and him and I'll take that guy and him and him. Oh, nope, you can't have uh, – I'm going to take uh, 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 Kurt Russell from myself and you can have him perfect. <laughs> I, I want to say that there was probably a casting call for Asian actors and you had a very limited – I'm guessing the pool was small. I don't know if the pool was small. I think that the pool of recognizable guys was smaller. The one thing I will say about Golden Child, and I mentioned this when we were mm -hmm. watching it, mm -hmm. is that it's very diversely cast. Yes. There's not really, except for the bad guy, except for Dan and, and the bikers. And uh, the bikers. Otherwise. Bad guys. Again, bad guys, yeah. Are, they're the only non 
it's white all, people. Yeah. They're only white people that are cast. Everybody else, like from the detective that you know mm-hmm. talks to Murphy at the beginning, to everybody, and okay, and Ty Cobb is miscast as a Himalayan. I don't know what he's supposed to be. But oh, Tex Cobb, yeah. yeah. What did I say? Ty, Ty Cobb. Cobb. Yeah. He was Ty in it Cobb. too. He was Randall great. Ty yeah. Cobb, the the baseball. He player. was one of the monks when the nigga yeah. attacked. That was yeah. a good movie with uh, Tommy Lee Jones as Ty Cobb. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Such an awful man. Anyway, yes. <laughs> I think it was the writing because I mean that's just how it came out. But Possibly yes, but... Eddie too, yes. being the producer yes. was like, let's Agreed. put. See, I think he had a, a Eddie Murphy had a vision of this kind of bridging him. From the Beverly Hills, you know, from the films that everybody expects him right, to do, right. to doing something a little bit different because yeah. maybe he was getting bored playing Axel Foley over and over again. Yeah. And then when they, you know, threw water on that, it was just like, okay, screw this. Yeah, yeah. I I'm think just this take might my have paycheck. Yeah. This might have really changed the trajectory of his career. Yeah. When I think, like you said, after the disappointment, his disappointment in this movie, he mm-hmm. went and took control over everything else, and perhaps. If he wouldn't have done that as much, like he's right, 100% right. more collaboration, for, yeah, for uh, uh, coming to America, but his other, yeah, you know, Boomerang and, and yeah. his subsequent movies, not bad movies, right? Just not quite. But they didn't click. They didn't. Yeah. It, like this movie, it took a while, I guess, until he got to like the Nutty Professor, until he kind of switched over to more family films, yeah, and found yeah. his niche there. There was a period of Eddie Murphy that was kind of in flux. Mm-hmm. And there was a, a we didn't have any great Eddie Murphy movies. We had some good Eddie Murphy movies. Right, there was a right. very you know slow, steady move. No ups, no real downs. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. It was, but it nothing was, yeah. that was like super memorable. Like I don't remember a lot of Boomerang. I don't remember a lot of. I know I saw it. I just I remember Della Reese being the most hilarious part of <laughs> oh, yeah, Harlem yeah. Nights, uh, but. You know, other than that, I don't really, you know, there wasn't a lot of memorable stuff coming out after that. No, 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 unfortunately. So Peter Kwong, playing Tommy Tong, he's appeared in over 100 films and TV shows, including, as we said, Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, yeah. Uh, He studied Northern Shaolin Kung Fu, which has allowed him to do many of his own stunts and eventually branch off to more meditative disciplines, such as Tai Chi Chuan and Qi Kung meditation. He actually teaches, teaches Tai Chi Chuan here in L.A. Nice. Yeah. We should do it. Let's do it. Yeah. He's awesome. He's still working. He's doing a lot of TV stuff now. Uh, he's aged very gracefully. He's got some pretty... He's not He's not immortal, apparently, like James Hong, <laughs> but, but he's definitely aged very well. Nice. Uh, and the last last one we'll talk about, Frank Welker as the voice of the thing in The Dark Lord. I am the Dark Lord. Yeah. <laughs> Find the golden child. Which they never really... Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, was he Satan? Sort of, I guess. I mean, it looked like hell. The head demon? When he did his little, I mean, when Charles Dance did his little, little hell dance. meditation, <laughs> and then all the, the walls just wisped away, and he was in a, in a, a sea of, he, of fire and hell. And the guy's talking like yeah. this. Get the golden jar. Get the dagger. Yeah. <laughs> I could be Frank much Walker. It. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Alan Silvestri, who did Back to the Future, was originally set to provide the film score, but end up turning the project down. Wow. Uh, Paramount then turned to John Barry, who had just come off his award-winning score for Out of Africa. Yeah, was that Meryl Streep and uh, uh, Robert Redford? Redford yeah, yeah. Nice. Out of Africa, it won Best Picture that year. A lion ate my baby. Oh no, wait, that's a dingo. <laughs> ate my baby. 
<laughs> that's not in Africa. Oh, I, I've got to be honest, I've never seen Out of Africa. Uh, uh, it's fine. It's yeah. a period piece. Uh, it's part of the reason I, I just, it never interested me. There's a lot of movies of that time, like Reds and Out of Africa and Chariots of Fire that everybody yeah. says they've seen, but nobody's really seen. I I want to say I've seen Chariots of Fire a long time ago, but <laughs> my brain might have just filled in the fact that I've yeah. seen the clip so many Chariots times. Chariots of Fire, a couple guys run. Yeah. A couple runners. Hey, they're on the beach running. And one guy wins, one guy loses. They're really skinny. There you go. And there's a score that we all heard for the next Billion, rest of our lives years. when any time anybody ever ran <laughs> sorry uh, so a teaser trailer was released in the summer of 1986 featuring no footage from the actual movie but consisting of Eddie Murphy riding a yak through a blizzard complaining if I'm the chosen one how come I'm freezing while you're sitting in a warm movie theater chosen one my behind why couldn't someone choose me to go to the Bahamas which was in the movie yeah, the line was in the movie. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, apparently, after the first audience test screening, the movie was drastically changed. Charles Dance explained. Initially, The Golden Child was a very interesting script with a lot of resonances. But Paramount basically chickened out. When they first screened it, it was a very different sort of film for Eddie Murphy. Paramount took too much notice of the preview audience's unease about the unfamiliarity of Eddie's character. They had gotten to know him so well through Beverly's Cop that they wanted the character to be much more like that. So the studio went back and reshot a lot of footage of Eddie doing Eddie Murphyisms and put them into the picture. Then they took out a really sumptuous, weird, and beautiful score by John Barry and replaced it with something more funkier. So basically, what you got was Beverly Hills Cop in debate. Yeah. Uh, during post- he's not wrong. No, no, no. I mean, it's he, he sums it up very well. Yeah. Uh, well, he's Charles Dance. He's yeah. very eloquent. <laughs> he is. He is. Uh, during post-production, John Barry actually left the project when both differences with the producers and test screening feedback presented considerable challenges for the composer. The test audience reaction had led the producers replacing to replace Barry's score with new music by Michael, Michael Colombier that, in contrast to Barry's work, was mostly synth-pop, although there were some brief orchestral passages throughout. Uh, it was the yeah. same score. It sounded exactly it's, like Beverly Hills Cop, especially yeah. like when he's doing the like the mansion thing. That's you don't even yeah. have to change the scores on that because they no. match up pretty no. well. But the I will say the opening the when they attack the Tibetan monks, it, the synth pop just does not work. Oh, I kind of love it. Just not I kind of love it. <laughs> Some of uh, John Barry's musical cues still remain in the final cut of the film. Uh, the movie was released to mixed criticism. Despite this, the movie made about $150 million worldwide. Not too shabby. Yeah. Eddie Murphy was not a fan of the film, disparaging it while doing press for Coming to America, saying that the original script was better than the finished film. Uh, later, Murphy would say, My pictures make their money back no matter how I feel. For instance, about The Golden Child, which was a piece of shit, the movie made more than $100 million. So am I to say it sucks? Apparently, the consensus is that the novelization was much better, but I have yet to read it. I'd like to read it. Uh, like I, I do, said. Yeah. I do have it coming from the, the Los Angeles Public Library. Nice. It just did not arrive in time. Wow, that is a definite stepdad move, baby. <laughs> Either that or it like was, a serial killer move. I got it from the public library. You are great, though, I will have to say. 
You consistently get things out of the library. You use your library card. I that do. is civically responsible. Yeah. And it just shows that you're a pretty smart cookie. I try. I mean, I try. I Support your local libraries, people. I, I Be mean, like Adam. You're technically paying for it, so you yes. might as well use it. You guys are all paying for Adam's books. Yeah. So use them yourselves. <laughs> Read a book for, for once. But I will say, in this case, the library did win because I tried to find it on Amazon and I could not. Nice. So Take that. Was, Jeff Bezos. Some old 40-year-old copy sitting in the library. Put that in your wiener spaceship and shoot it out <laughs> to space, Mr. Bezos. So the reason that the novelization apparently is better is because it's it's based off the original script. Yeah, I'd like to read that, yeah. too. The original, the original script. script. Yeah. And I didn't look for that. I don't. It's possible it's out there somewhere. I'd like to see that. And come on, Paramount. Let's do the original cut. I mean, they were able to put together... Donner Superman 2 cut. Yeah. And that's, yeah. I mean, all that stuff. It's just going to cost them money, and it, they're probably not going to do it. We'll pay for it. Okay. Gen X Files will produce I got, I got the... Like 40 bucks I can throw yeah, in. <laughs> I, got like, I got a 30. I got 30 bucks. We will produce... <laughs> Wait, then I'm only putting in 30 bucks. Well, no. You already said 40. No. But your name comes first. Oh, okay. <laughs> Great. put the extra tenor in. Um, but yeah, come on. Come on. Get to it. Give us something good. Uh, writer Dennis Feldman was disappointed with the film and thought they should have taken the script more seriously. But instead, everybody wanted to make an Eddie Murphy comedy. Yeah, he was also critical of director Michael Ritchie. It's not what the director should have done, and he didn't even do it. <laughs> he was a very angry really, man. Really a lot of Dennis Feldman hate oh, in this man. episode. No, no, I'm just saying Dennis Feldman was, he was an angry, just angry man. He was, he was. I, that, I listened to interviews of him, and that's exactly what he said. Wow, wow. He had a lot of nervous energy, a lot of angry energy. Uh, despite the fact that uh, Michael Ritchie and Dennis Feldman and, well, not Michael Ritchie, but Dennis Feldman and Eddie Murphy were both not very happy with the movie, not everybody had a bad time working on the movie. Charles Dance said, I thought I'd quite like to do a film with Eddie Murphy because he makes me laugh. The character was villainous, but he was a comic villain as far as I was concerned, and I hadn't done a film like that before. I don't think as an actor you should back off from any experience, so I thought, okay, we'll try this. And I did it. And I know that it's played over and over again, and a lot of devotees of that kind of thing say it's their favorite film. It was fun. I enjoyed doing it. Really? (laughs) Yeah. Well, he always came in strong at the end, Mr. Dance. Look, we talked about this while we were watching it. I think, and we talked about it during our discussions, I think... The reshoots killed this movie because it killed Eddie Murphy's spirit. You can tell yeah. this the Eddie Murphy e scenes that they popped in, yeah. and he doesn't yeah. have the gusto for it. It's going through the motions for him. Yeah, you know, even yeah. his laugh yeah. at the beginning is. <laughs> yeah, it's like <laughs> there are literal scenes that are just copycats of of Beverly Hills Cop and badly shot too. It's yeah. just like okay, let's just get a close up of Eddie Murphy saying something something yeah. uh, smart ass. It was just really obvious that he was just not happy with doing these reshoots. No, and it just it didn't fit. And no. the, it was very the movie has so much potential and it it was it could have been something really great. Yeah. And there's something good there. There's definitely something to enjoy there if you're an Eddie Murphy fan, especially. Yeah. It's, you know, even Eddie Murphy lacklusterly doing his Eddie Murphyisms is still funny and it still works. But the problem is, 
is you learn about what a great movie this could have been. Yeah. And it's very disappointing. It, and, and it sucks for him, too, that they didn't trust him as a performer to be able to branch out and yeah. grab the audiences by doing something different. And it just goes yeah. to show you how short-sighted and silly these producers, are these studio heads are. Yeah. How they yeah. don't have a clue, you know? And their whole thing is like, well, it made money. Yeah, it worked before. We fixed it, and it made $150 million. Yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, the budget was anywhere between, like, 15 and $25 million, So right. it made money. Which I is mean, like, F you. That's not a... T- I mean, yes, at the time, it was a pretty good chunk of money. But still... Let him do what he would like to do. Let him try something different. You could always go back to Beverly Hills Cop 3, yeah. 4, 5, and 6. Well, you, I think he signed on reading the original script and was intrigued by it. Yeah. And then when he came on, they did the rewrites, and he was, I'm sure he was like, I don't really want to do it this way. Yeah. But at the same time, also, he was still young and, and kind of like, well, I have to play the game and but, do the thing. And But this also switched over, like the control it, the evolution of his need for control started with this, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. And culminated not only with him like writing and producing, but also having to play like half of the characters <laughs> in the movie. Eighteen you know? different parts. Yeah, yeah. He wasn't doing that before this. No. No. You know, no it started no. with coming to America. Yeah. Was yeah. the first time, and then everybody was like, "Well, if we can get seventy-five Eddie Murphys <laughs> for the yeah. same price as one Eddie Murphy, <laughs> let's just get everybody. Let's just have it all be Eddie Murphy. It's Bugs Bunny, you know." Which is, and look, he that scene in uh, the clumps or whatever Nutty Professor, Nutty Professor with uh, him sitting around as the family, yeah, is genius, brilliant. It was brilliant, absolute freaking genius. One of the most amazing comic bits, and it's all farts and stuff. You know, it's yeah, nothing yeah, yeah. like. But it also is so believable. Like, all yeah. the characters are very different. I mean, the guy's a genius. But, you know, he just got bigger, 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 and nobody was saying no. I think he was really excited because between 48 Hours and Trading Places and then Beverly Hills Cop, like, he, he worked with great writers and great directors. And, like, I think he was really excited yeah. about this movie. Because he was also untouchable. Yeah. Three movies, three hits. Yeah. Three critical yeah. successes. Yeah. On top of being, you know, the most popular person on Saturday Night Live. Yeah, he was huge. And it's and it's just it's just one of those, I think he really wanted this to be the next step in that. Mm-hmm. And, like, to have some control and be like, yeah, you know, like, I want to do some stuff. But I think Paramount just took it c- extremely to the other Eddie Murphy end and was they like... They panicked. Just do all this. Yeah. Just do all this. They panicked. They panicked because of a... Te- I mean, this is the worst thing about test yeah. audiences. It's the worst part of art and commerce is all of the compromises that you have to make for the commerce, yeah. apparently, which always, always makes it worse. Haven't we learned our lesson over a million no. times? Haven't no. we learned our lesson that no. whenever you do this, it makes it worse? I mean, my God, yeah. Hollywood. Yeah. It's, there's never a good story of an audience no. going, oh, man, good thing they said that. We wouldn't have thought of that. Oh, yeah. Oh, we changed everything at the last minute and made it a huge success. Yeah. No. We changed everything at the last minute, and then it just died. And it was a sad mess. Yeah. Or <laughs> it was, it. you know, a critical mix or whatever. But, of course, at this point, Eddie Murphy could have read the phone book, and it would have made $150 million. Yeah. Yeah. He was at that point in his career. Yeah, so, no, you know, it, it, it definitely made $150 million because of Eddie Murphy. Yes. We're out of time, so we'll be back next week. Was not prepared for yeah. that energy this morning. Suck it! Okay. And lick it. Okay, all right. 
now return you to your regularly scheduled programming, The Hair Bear Bunch, already in progress. <laughs> <laughs>